Hey guys, it's me Dami, and you are listening to Moisturize Your Elbows. This podcast is your one-stop shop for all my unsolicited advice and opinions. So sit back, relax, moisturize your elbows, and let's get into it. As it's COVID times, the rare few occasions that I venture outside my apartment, I'm always wearing a face mask. My face mask is pretty much a permanent accessory at this stage. This means that whenever I'm outside, I will usually have most of my face covered. It's also very cold at this time of year, so I'm always wrapped up in a big jacket, a scarf, a woolly headband, the full works. Pretty much all of my body is layered and covered up. Picture me essentially covered from head to toe, then you'll have a pretty good visualisation of what 2021 external facing Dami looks like. With this context in mind, let me take you back with me to a few weeks ago where I had taken an evening stroll to KFC to both get my daily step count up and also satisfy my need for fried chicken. What can I say? I'm a multitasker. And I'm standing in the queue waiting to place my order when I feel a tap on my shoulder At the best of times, I don't like being touched by strangers, but in the middle of a pandemic, I was shook. I practically jumped across the room as though I was immediately going to catch the Rona from this brief touch. But then I turned around and I see a man standing behind me. He smiles at me and he holds out his phone and says, put your number in there and maybe I'll take you out sometime. I am shooketh. He wanted me to do what now? He proceeds to repeat himself. He wants my number. I could have been anyone. He literally could not see my face. I could have been a serial killer for all he knew, which of course I proceeded to tell him. But clearly this joke about potentially killing him didn't put him off or at least the potential fate of getting murdered in KFC was a risk he was prepared to take. And he proceeded to try and convince me to give him my number. Apparently, he really liked my hair. For context, (laughs) I had recently taken out my braids. So I must admit, my natural curls were popping. But still, regardless of how nice my hair looked, it was all still a bit weird. But spoiler alert, I gave him my number and we fell madly in love and are now even thinking of marriage. This just goes to show that love truly does come from the strangest of sources. (laughs) I'm joking, I joke, I joke. I really crack myself up. To be clear, I did not give that man my number, but I did go home and devour a very tasty KFC. But the whole encounter served as a reminder of a fact that I already knew. The bar is on the floor. This man was literally prepared to risk it all for a person he had just met in KFC of all places. A person who he could not see at all. And he clearly thought that he would shoot his shot and could win my interest with a simple compliment of my hair. 
No, seriously, the standards are slipping. The bar is on the floor. In fact, the standards are so low in the world of modern dating, they are practically underground. At this rate, you would need an archaeologist to discover them. But this kind of thing happens to me all the time. I get stopped in the streets by men asking for my number, a surprising amount, like a lot. And I think it must be because I'm just a very approachable person and I'm overtly friendly. For example, when I first moved to London a few years ago, I learned very quickly it was against public transport etiquette to smile or even make eye contact with people on the tube. And I used to really struggle to say no to people. This was particularly a problem when I was at university on nights out where I would just give my number out willy nilly to any guy who asked for it because I would always feel so bad about it. But in 2019, I made a personal goal of mine to say no to things and to say no to people. It was the year of the no. And in 2020, I grew my appreciation of myself. It was the year of self-love and... In 2021, I'm sharing it all with you guys. It's the year of more unsolicited opinions and advice. (laughs) But modern dating is practically a zoo. It's wild out there. The way I see it, dating is just a form of data collection. And I could talk for hours about some of the data I've collected in my lifetime. For example, one of the worst dates I ever went on was to get food at Nando's. And the bad part wasn't even the fact I was going on a date to Nando's because that part was fully on me. I was already planning to get a takeaway from Nando's. So when this guy asked me out to go on this date, I just suggested we meet there. Kill two birds with one stone and all. I get the piri piri chicken that I'd been craving and also do this date at the same time. Maximum efficiency. Anyways, anyone who has been to Nando's will know that when you want to place your order, you have to walk up to the counter. So me and this guy end up walking up together and we end up going to separate counters and I order a half chicken and a side salad. We pay separately. He pays for his meal and I pay for mine. And I know a lot of people have strong opinions about who pays for what, especially when it comes to first dates, but this wasn't an issue for me at all. The issue began when we got back to the table and he said, don't you think you've ordered a lot of food? Are you going to be able to finish that? He kept going on and on and on and making jokes about how the food was going to come and I would have loads left over. When I knew perfectly well I had ordered just enough food for myself and it just made me feel really uncomfortable. Like Mr... It's a half chicken and a side salad, not exactly a massive amount of food. And even if I had ordered tons and tons of food, it was a really big red flag that he had tried to shame me about it, especially as it's not like I asked him to pay for it. And throughout the whole meal, he just kept on going on and looking at my plate and commenting on how much he was blown away by the fact I could manage a half chicken by myself even after I'd explicitly asked him to stop. But then again, the red flag should have been the moment I heard him place his own order and they asked him what spice level he wanted on his chicken and he asked for it to be plain. I should have run at that point. I should have bolted out of that Nando's as fast as I could because 
anyone who orders plain chicken at Nando's is probably not the right person for me. But unfortunately for me, before the date, I'd already agreed to go to the cinema with him after. So the evening just went from bad to worse to just plain terrible. I could talk endlessly about just this date alone, but I'll stop here. My top tip for anyone out there dating is do not agree to a two-part first date. Never do that to yourself. Because if you want to bail after the first half of the date, you then feel obligated to see it to its bitter end. But even all these bad dates, even this bad data you collect, is not a complete waste of your time because you can always ask yourself after, what can I learn from this? About myself, about relationships, about life, about the world, about society. And I think the biggest lesson I've learned throughout it all is that I know my value and I know my worth. Know your value and then add tax. This is something I've seen over the years on various social media platforms. I've seen it on Pinterest, on motivational t-shirts and mugs. And it's a phrase that I really love and one that I always try to keep in mind. Understanding your value and refusing to accept anything less than you deserve is really important. On some level, we all want to be loved, even if we may not always want to admit it. It is normal for us to want human connections, but what are we willing to give in exchange for that love? I would go even further than the usual statement. Know your worth, add tax and service charge. Heck, add all the extra fees, but make sure you retain something for yourself. I used to be a really big fan of the TV show Dragon's Den growing up. For those of you not familiar with the TV show, it's basically a show where various entrepreneurs will pitch their business ideas to five multimillionaires to see who's willing to invest their cash to help kickstart this business. The millionaires on the show are known as the dragons. My favourite part of the show tended to be the part where one of the dragons is on board for the business idea. They want to invest. And now they're negotiating how much will be invested and how much of a percentage stake they will get in the company in return. It's always a very tense moment and at times it's a bit of a back and forth and at this stage sometimes this is where the negotiations come to a halt as the business owner is not prepared to give up as much of a stake in their company as the dragon wants. But this is not necessarily the end of the world. They may not get investment on the day But there are so many examples of business ideas that have been rejected by the dragons that go on to be successful. For example, the craft beer company Brewdog or the hairbrush tangler Tangle Teaser or Oppo Lofa Ice Cream, just a few on the long list of Dragon's Den rejects that are now thriving. Now, I'm not saying that just because you have a great idea and you really believe in it and work hard at it, you'll be successful. But it's a reminder that you need to back yourself when it matters. Do not sell yourself too short. Another good example of this is the song I Will Always Love You, which was written by Dolly Parton. It was later covered by Whitney Houston for the movie The Bodyguard, and it was very popular and it's still a really well-known song. But when Dolly Parton originally wrote it, she had intended that Elvis Presley would sing it. However, that deal fell through because of a dispute over publishing rights. 
at the time there was this requirement that Elvis would have to have at least half the publishing rights to any song that he recorded but Dolly refused and I am a big Dolly Parton fan I used to listen to her all the time growing up and I just love her so much And if you listen to some of her interviews, she talks a lot about how she was really disappointed that the Elvis deal did not happen. But she knew her worth and added tax. She was not going to give up half of the rights to the song, no matter how much she wanted Elvis Presley to sing her song. She knew I Will Always Love You was a number one song, and she knew how much having the copyright to it was worth. And it was a really good thing that she did not do this because Dolly has earned millions in the form of royalties alone from the Whitney Houston cover of the song. People will keep taking from you if you let them. If you undervalue yourself, chances are other people will too. Other people have this ability to pick up on the value that you have set for yourself and then mirror it. You teach people how to treat you. So set the tone for how you want to be treated. And like I spoke about on last week's episode, make sure you have better boundaries. It's so important to set these clear boundaries for people and even more important that you enforce those boundaries. Make sure that your actions and your words actually align with the values you've placed on yourself. Imagine you are on Dragon's Den and you're a contestant and make sure you retain enough equity in the corporation that is your life for yourself. Make sure you don't give up so much that you no longer have the controlling interest. And treat yourself like you are a luxury brand. A good example of this is the Birkin bag. And the Birkin bag is referenced so much in popular culture these days. Birkin is a line of tote bags by the French luxury goods maker Hermes and they've become this global symbol of status and wealth. The cheapest Birkin bag would set you back by about £10,000. But it's not just the fact that they are expensive. They are also known to be very well made and have superior quality. And most importantly, it's super hard to get one. It is possible to purchase a Birkin bag secondhand from upmarket boutique stores, but to get one directly from Hermes is a huge feat in itself. You can't just stroll into a Hermes shop and have a rummage around the aisles with a selection of Birkin bags to choose from. To get your hands on a Birkin bag, you have to have a long-standing relationship with one of the Hermes sales associates who will apparently then look into you and your background and they will look into your purchase history, your income and so on. And then on top of all of this, there's always a long waiting list. The rarity of the bags makes them even more exclusive. Due to the nature of this, they appreciate in value over time. So many people use them as a form of investment. You never see Birkin bags advertised. And of course, they never go on sale. They are Birkin bags. They don't need to. This year and going forward, channel your inner Birkin bag. You cost what you cost and you do not go on sale. You have an intrinsic value. Know it and own it. Because after all, if he wanted to, he would. 
Now, this phrase became a bit of a thing on TikTok over summer, and it's something that really resonated with me and my experiences. If he wanted to, he would. This is a phrase that's usually used when a woman is dating a man and she doesn't think he's putting in enough effort. For example, perhaps he's taking days to reply to her messages or being really unclear with his intentions the idea is if he wanted to he would for example if he wanted to text you he would if he wanted to see you he would and so on and so forth and there are similar themes explored in the movie he's just not that into you which is one of my all-time favorite movies to rewatch. And I'm in a lot of situations where friends tell me that the people they are in relationships with or they are dating and they tell me about how they're often doing barely the bare minimum. They don't even meet the baseline requirements, but I still hear them rationalize their behavior and make excuses for them. But if they wanted to, they would. And time and time again, they are shown that they do not want to because if they did, they would. Yet like a dog who's nipping at the heel of their master at the dinner table, they allow themselves to be fed crumbs. But crumbs will not fill you up. Crumbs will leave you feeling dissatisfied. You deserve more than crumbs. While I do accept that not all situations are as straightforward as this, and there are elements of the mindset behind the phrase that have the potential to be a little problematic, But as a headline statement, I really love the idea behind it. And I think the principle is widely applicable even outside the world of dating and relationships. If they wanted to, they would. We often spend a lot of our lives justifying why people don't do the things they said they would or why they don't treat us in the way that we want to be treated. While there's probably a lot more nuance to the reasons for why this is, and there may be some culpability on mine or your part, I would always like to remind myself that on balance, if they wanted to, they would. It usually is that simple. For example, I'm sure many of you would have watched or at least heard of the Netflix TV show Bridgerton. Now, I'm not much of a TV watcher, but after hearing all sorts of people talking about it, from my colleagues at work to my friends or even my parents, I had to check it out for myself. And it has officially become Netflix's most watched original series. The show was produced by Shonda Rhimes, who most notably also produced Scandal and Grey's Anatomy, both of which are also very popular shows. But before bringing Bridgerton to Netflix, Shonda Rhimes had worked at ABC. And while there are many reasons for her departure from ABC, the main grievance she cited related to a fiasco regarding an extra Disneyland ticket. By way of context, as part of the deal with ABC, Shonda received two all-inclusive passes from ABC, which is also owned by Disney but she requested an additional ticket for her sister for a family trip. And she was initially denied the extra ticket for Disneyland, but after some negotiation, she was given the extra ticket. But when she arrived at Disneyland with her family, only one of the tickets worked. So she called one of the ABC senior executives to ask about it, and they reportedly responded to her with the words, Don't you have enough? 
This was apparently the straw that broke the camel's back and led to her leaving ABC and going to Netflix, taking with her the idea for Bridgerton and as a result, making Netflix a lot of money. Now, some of you might be thinking, surely Shonda could have bought the extra Disneyland ticket herself. After all, she's a multi-millionaire, so the cost of the extra ticket was not exactly going to break the bank. And when I first heard the story, Shonda sounded a little bit entitled to me. However, after thinking about it more, it completely makes sense. The issue was not about whether or not she could afford the Disneyland ticket. It was about the back and forth of ABC and the eventual comment from the senior executive stating, don't you have enough? And what that represented. If they wanted to, they would. They could so easily have provided her with that extra Disneyland ticket. And in not doing so, ABC demonstrated to Shonda that it wasn't the kind of place that sufficiently valued her work and her talent. And context is really important here. Asking for something like an extra Disneyland pass is probably something that people in that circle do a lot. I'm sure that there are many favours and perks granted to people in Shonda's industry. It may seem ridiculous to me that the people with the most money are often the ones given free things when those who can't afford them are the ones who have to struggle along, but that's not the point. Shonda was not asking for anything outrageous or more than what similar people at her level would be provided with as a perk. For example, earlier in this year, I was working extremely hard at work, literally working all hours trying to get a deal across the line. And after it all, I remember stepping out into the corridor of my apartment and there was a package with my name on it. I opened it and it contained a really nice bottle of wine and a thank you note from the head of my department thanking me for all my hard work on the transaction. He was essentially thanking me for just doing my job, albeit doing it very well, but this is what I'm paid to do. Like, that's what my salary is for. But it was a clear appreciation of the role I had played in the transaction. My work has value and worth, and so do I. And most people will likely encounter similar symbolic gestures that let them know whether or not their employer is invested in them. It may not be a ticket to Disneyland like Shonda, or a bottle of wine like me, but on various scales, we get and sometimes even expect more than our basic entitlement as a demonstration of how much we are valued. It may be a box of celebrations left in the kitchen or a five pound gift voucher to Costa Coffee. It could be anything, but we are constantly given signals about how much we are valued by those around us. Shonda knew what she was worth and she realized that this act of denying her that extra Disneyland ticket reflected that ABC clearly did not recognize her worth. Not only does it represent a lack of respect of her worth, but as she's a black woman, it also represents the systemic unequal appreciation of black talent. This is particularly poignant because women are so often more likely to be apologetic in the workplace, making excuses for thoughts, opinions, corrections, and so on. And it usually stems from this perception of self-value, knowing your worth, understanding what you bring to the table and not apologizing for it. 
And there is a parallel that can be drawn between this example and other areas of our lives. When we are in the right spaces, what we ask for will never be too much. They won't question if we have enough. The same can be said for all types of relationships in social and professional contexts. How many relationships have you been in which you've settled for less than you deserve? For example, dissatisfaction in the workplace, one-sided friendships, unbalanced romantic relationships, family members who drain your energy. When we are with the right person or people, when we express our needs, we won't be told that we are being needy, but instead there will be a recognition that we are allowed to have needs and they will not feel disgruntled and instead try and meet those needs. You don't have to settle for scraps or crumbs on the floor or worry about rocking the boat. If someone or something is worth your energy, as a general rule, they will make it happen. Repeat after me, if they wanted to, they would. Fear believes in scarcity, faith believes in abundance. I think people often approach the relationships in their lives with this scarcity mindset. It's tempting to think that your options are limited and that you just have to settle. And I'm not going to try and invalidate that feeling because it's a very legitimate fear as there are many situations which I imagine this must feel very real. For example, for many women out there who want to have children, the idea of not finding someone is very legitimate due to the very real reality of having a biological clock. Many times there's this subconscious fear that there is nothing better out there and this is your last chance. So when you're in a relationship and it doesn't work out, you're inevitably brokenhearted about it because it means so much more than what the actual breakup is. To you, it represents your one last chance of finding love. So of course the breakup is going to be devastating. However, this has the potential to be really toxic as when you live under a scarcity mindset, you often find yourself settling for less than you deserve rationalizing being treated badly and accepting being undervalued and I was going through a breakup a couple of years ago and it was a mutual decision so as far as breakups go I was doing great it was after I had moved to London so it was a very exciting time in my life I had law school filling up my days and there were so many fun and new places to explore in my spare time but after the initial breakup I suddenly started feeling awful about it and I was just so cut up and I remember speaking to a friend about it and she'd been very understanding and I was telling her how much I was struggling to get over it all and I remember her very clearly saying I didn't even think you liked him that much we proceeded to have a really nice girls evening there was food there was wine and then she left and I reflected on those words she had said and she was right I had not even liked him that much. I mean, of course I had liked him on some level, but the level of like definitely didn't correspond to the level of heartbreak I was claiming to feel. I was not sad because I had ended a relationship with him. I was sad because of what the breakup had represented. 
It was the death of a relationship, the end of the hopes and dreams for the future that I had built in my head. It was the end of all the things it could be rather than what it actually was. That's the thing about breakups. They bring this uncertainty about the future. What will life be like without your partner? Will you find someone else? Will you end up alone? So I mourned the loss of all these things. I think I missed the idea of him and what he represented rather than the reality of the relationship. This means you end up dating the person's potential rather than their reality. We instead need to move from this scarcity mindset which is rooted in fear and truly believe and have faith that our best days are ahead of us. We need to move to a mindset of abundance. Because when we are living in this abundance mindset, it's easy to let go of what is not for us. Because you know that it's just a matter of time before the next thing comes around. More fulfilling and happier romantic relationships, a better job, healthier friendships, more suitable opportunities. We don't have to settle because the options are limitless. So how do we move from a scarcity mindset to one of abundance? The bar is on the floor and quite frankly, we need to raise that bar. So one of the things I like to do is to have a list of non-negotiables and I mentioned this list of non-negotiables briefly on last week's episode as it's a one way I try to keep myself accountable. And I must admit, my list used to be quite superficial. Any of my close friends will tell you that the number one thing I used to look for in guys was that he must be over six foot tall. You may laugh at me now, but this was actually something that used to be a serious deal breaker for me. But now my list of non-negotiables are more conceptual things and they're usually based on values and characteristics. But I'm not perfect and so I don't always stick to my list of non-negotiables. But having this list of things helps keep them in my mind and makes me acutely aware of when I'm doing things that conflicts with these things that I had identified on my list. It forces me to have difficult conversations with myself and ask myself, am I compromising or am I settling? A non-negotiable list is important because what you allow will always continue. People will continue to do what you allow them to do and you also get in life what you accept. Asking for what you want and refusing what you don't want is not rude. It's your right. And then we also need to learn how to say no and when to say no. Learning how and when to say no to things was a real game changer for me. For example, Dami about five years ago would probably have given my number to that man in KFC because I would have been too nervous to say no. I wouldn't have wanted to hurt his feelings. But part of knowing your worth is having respect for yourself. I respect myself enough to know the things that are not for me and to say no to those things. And while I know people have found love in the wildest of places, I knew that I probably wasn't going to find it in some random man in the middle of KFC. I didn't need to be, and I wasn't rude about it, but at the same time, I didn't need to waste my time. I like to look at my time and energy in monetary terms. Why would I be giving my time out for free to someone who I did not think had earned it yet? 
But there's a difference between an ability to compromise and having standards. What other people might call compromise looks a whole lot like settling from my observations. But a good dose of healthy compromise makes the world go round and can be useful in all types of relationships. This is when the compromise entails finding an agreement through communication, whereas in many cases, the reality of the compromise is you just lowering your standards and your values. But that is a huge topic to begin delving into at this stage in any meaningful detail. So if you'd like a full length episode on the topic of compromise versus settling, just let me know. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of Moisturize Your Elbows. As I always say, no topic is off the table. So I really hope you enjoy this slightly more lighthearted episode. The topic of dating has been highly requested. So I'm glad I finally got around to doing it. And thank you to all those of you who've been patient with me as I know it's taken a bit of time to get to it. If you'd like more episodes on topics like this in the future, then just let me know. You can find me on Instagram at Moisturize Your Elbows. And if you've been liking this season so far, please do feel free to share and follow. It's really appreciated. But until then, don't forget to moisturize your elbows. <laughs>